1: Hey, this is Josh, and the episode of The Movies That Made Me You're About to Listen To has more endings than the last Lord of the Rings movie, so stay with it all the way till the end.
2: The only good thing about getting old, is you can crap in your pants and it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. You Especially on a podcast. I haven't gotten No, up. it's not that nobody cares. You don't care. <laughs> like, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. Come on, honey, it's not as if nobody ever crapped in their pants in front of you. <laughs>
1: Where's my I read something about shitting your pants today and I don't even remember it. Gee, but, gee, what no, usually that kind of thing stays with you. I you know,
2: know, it really does. W- wasn't that part of Billy Wilder's acceptance speech for his lifetime achievement award? I don't remember. I, if, I, if I remember correctly, are we rolling? This is a good, good thing to have on your on your podcast. Right.
1: Sure. How did you just... He's tweeting right now somehow.
0: Who is, I,
2: I I have people i paid He's people
1: who tweets for him. i pack people who tweet
0: for. i just him. got I an
2: alert i, I do not realize take. you did tweet i just thought you just sent emails no no i have a tweet
1: he just tweeted my name oh do you get those emails
2: oh i get the emails. i have since lightning but um for i think it was the uh gene herschel one which is the oscars version of we rolling on this no oh, yeah because you're gonna want this in the show. But we're supposed—the be beginning of the show is us but acting was, like we're
1: not. Now we, we can edit this and put it. Back. it Make it sound a, like we're not rolling. We,
2: we can put this when when we're when we're when we're starting to falter. Yeah, we can cut this, this in. It's this is gold right here. But for for uh, Billy Wilder's Gene Hersholt, Hul- they come back from a commercial, and from upstage center, like a thirty yard walk. Walter Matthau, in all of his glory, walks down to the singular mic, which is Downstage Center. He says, man walks into a diner, says, give me a cup of coffee with no milk. Waitress said, we're all out of milk. How about no cream? (laughs) And the room erupted. (laughs) It was kind of like that. It was like, (laughs) oh, wait, that was funny. And and then Walter Matthau did two or three more one-liners like that. I didn't quite deliver it as good as I usually do. I'm very nervous around you, Joe. Uh, and then he basically credited IAL Diamond and, and Billy Wilder for these phenomenal lines. And got finished introducing Billy Wilder to get his Lifetime Achievement Award, which is a big deal. The... the uh, Academy Awards. He was in his, definitely the autumn of his of his years. Bill Wilder comes out, hugs Walter Matthau, takes his award and says, I went to the doctor today and I said, Doc, I'm having trouble peeing. And the doc says, How old are you? I said, I'm 91. He says, Ah, you peed enough. <laughs> and he left. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to myself, What a great, fucking way to go out yeah you know nobody gives a shit what i did you know you just want to get on to the you know best actress award let me get let me get on let me get off all right
0: speaking of getting
2: on and off what you could get on
1: well no i'm still confused by the fact that so we're 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 recording now and i'm sitting here and i'm staring at these two gentlemen our guests who i'll introduce in a moment and, and joe dante but somehow my phone lights up telling me that joe dante has just mentioned me in a tweet and his hands are free I don't even understand how. I this tweet
2: is. mentally you should have seen him on Sullivan he did that same act years ago <laughs> years ago he <laughs> said I'm thinking I'm thinking of a tweet <laughs> <And> suddenly magically <laughs> no one
1: remembers that because he was followed by the Beatles but um, and Senor
2: Wences, he's not uh, the same without my brother
1: <laughs> remember that act uh uh so um yeah i guess we should do the introduction to the show this is we we have pre-recorded music and we get plays oh, and Jesus. i don't even say the name of the show or who i am anymore it's all
2: recorded the show has a name
1: I'm Josh Olson, and you're listening to The Movies That Made Me, the official podcast of Trailers from Hell. Uh, and this week we're here with a gentleman who, I mean... He said he doesn't mind how I introduce him. I'd be happy just to say the star of City of Lost Children and leave it at that. i with me. My God, but
2: but. I've do you that me? one.
1: Should we? I mean, you what?
2: You don't need to go any further. <laughs> Let's just get to the the heart of the matter. Uh, it, Where were you on the night of the 12th? It's uh, it's. That's how uh, film noir started. Uh, you know?
1: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the next president of the United States. Uh, although you may have an announcement to make
2: on that. If uh, if nominated, I will not run, and if elected, I will not serve.
1: Uh, we, we are here with the great Ron Perlman. Um, do you want to make some news? You said we're something here with before.
2: The, no, I don't really. I'm not ready to make news yet. Okay, fine. Let's see how I feel. <laughs> how long are we going to do this? Hey, you know, no, get some, tired. No, so, hours, let's yeah. see how I feel in about 45 minutes. Okay. And we I, we I may might, have news. I might make some news. We may break
1: some news. Of course, we're going to hold the show we're for going to break. So.
2: We're going to break a number of things. <laughs> that, that I just broke wind. Thank God it's a podcast. Uh, exactly. I should, people by the way, have no idea. I should also mention Dante's eyes are watering right now. It's not now. properly Mike
1: I should mention the special thing about this show.
2: <laughs> oh no, you'd be surprised! <laughs> oh my God, I'm never going to get a word I'd out. I carry this an extra one <laughs> for occasions like um,
1: this. Th- this is also uh, a cast reunion for the uh, Mick Garris Stephen King opus, *Sleepwalkers*. Very, very pleased to be here with uh, the two stars of the film. One of
2: fact. one of three projects that I had the the the, the, the pleasure of. Work becoming the musical stylings, in in the theatrical genius vision um, of Stephen King. Classic tableau of uh, the 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 work of Joe Dante. Oh, the oeuvre. No, actually, we did um, as it was. There was there was a third one.
0: We did uh, Looney Tunes. Four. That's four, right? We did four things together. We did Looney Tunes, Second Civil War. Oh, good. Uh, Which In which he's great.
1: Oh, of course. Mike, I'm... uh, Yes.
0: uh, Can we stop
1: for a minute? And just because that never gets mentioned enough. And I know we're here to talk about movies that you're going to talk about, Ron, but you're in this one and you made this one. The second Civil War...
2: You know, you all know that I just ordered the borders of Idaho to be closed. When it's over, this president could be out building houses for the poor, like Jimmy Carter. I've never even fixed a faucet.
1: Thank God for arrogance, lust,
0: and greed, or we'd all be doing commercials. Let's go, people. I smell a 20 share.
2: Someone once said, those whom the gods destroy, they first make mad.
1: Let's jump right over those left-wing, liberal, media elite types and bring your story right to the American people.
0: Governor... Aren't you afraid you've put something else in motion that
1: you can't control? There's some things in life you just have to do. It's coming. Whatever. Why, where, is there any way people can see that today? Because uh, I've got an old DVD. It's very hard
0: to see HBO movies because they, uh, they're not readily available. Um, sometimes they're streamed on Amazon. And some people have told me that they've seen... Seconds civil War available on amazon but you know the, the way that stuff is yeah. it's, it's just a list of titles and it comes and goes i mean it's it's there if you want to find it i mean the sad thing is that most people never heard of it and uh, in my various re-encountering of it over the years at various festivals and stuff it's always leapt out at me as a movie that looks like it was made last week except for the yeah. size of the tv screens and, no, it's, it's uh, an
1: amazing film and we spend all of our time on the show talking about your big hits like matinee that we never get around to mentioning that you made this. Blast.
0: But the, 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 we've never been as close to the Second Civil War as we are right now. And uh, the the concerns of the movie, which about immigration and all sorts of issues that were kind of vaguely science fictional then and said, "Oh, it's the future, it's the future. Yeah. Well, it quickly became the present. And now it's stayed with us. And uh, the, the the whole thing is premised on a, a governor who wants to uh, not take in uh, refugees. From a, a war, and um, the, the, every, in every minor way, uh, it's a remarkable movie. Uh, I, I don't say that because I made it. I mean, I just find that no. it, it is mm-hmm. so pertinent um, and has a lot to say about the media, and has no actual villains. It's like everybody in it is like a victim, and um, I. It's it maybe the best thing I've ever done, and I was. It's the best cast I ever had, certainly, and uh, I was very happy to have run and yes. in, a, in a part that the the hbo wanted david pamer for <laughs> Which, I guess
1: you guys go up for a lot of the same parts well i just said you guys know, don't the understand your only reason your own i ever movie.
2: work is because sometimes he's unavailable <laughs> 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 well that was then now uh, yeah most everybody that i used to compete with are dead so <laughs> they, come, they come they come they almost come straight to me
1: well they say that's the secret just stick, stick around, around yeah there. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we are here with, uh, as I think I've said it now four times, Ron Perlman, um, four-time and, collaborator, and uh, and yes, four times collaborator. And
2: but I think the very first one was this. They were trying to do kind of um, a, a, a a reboot of kind of the Zane Grey Theater, you know, which which was making these little classic uh, Americana short stories that that became the springboard of. The old Zane Grey yeah, theater. Yeah, there,
0: there was a Zane Grey theater in the 50s when I, right. I, when I was growing up. And, and this was actually part of a show called Picture Windows, which was the, the premise of this show, which was half-hour uh, cable stuff uh, produced by Norman Jewison for um, uh, Showtime. And the idea was you take a famous painting, and then the painting comes to life, and that becomes the first shot of your story. Well, uh, I cheated because I didn't have a painting. I had a Frederick Remington... Uh, picture that I could not find a place to uh, m- duplicate, so we we cheated and made one up. Uh, so the first shot of our you made up the photo. The first shot of our show is a, is a sort of a daguerreotype treatment of a photo that we then segue into, and it's a angry story about a, a, a mule who is uh, used for nefarious purposes by uh, some. It's about a, Brian Keith in one of his last roles. Actually, the Second Civil War was one of his last roles too. Uh, is this prospector and he's he's he going to hit it rich with this with this mule and uh kathleen quinlan and and this awful man here uh to see that he's
2: come out of the essay well, I, I was playing not. an awful man but uh, <laughs> but i also had good a lot to uh back me up in that
0: and it was a western it was and i love I oh. and nobody lets you make western yeah and so it was we shot it in bronson canyon and the disney Ranch, and it was really a lot of fun to make and brian was very cantankerous as older actors sometimes
2: everybody was cantankerous <laughs> i remember were, the best line okay. i've ever heard a director utter on was on that show it was the first time i'd worked with you and um you were having trouble with your video assist you weren't getting um, a, 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 a picture and so you were killing time running around doing other things and you know um checking camera angles and stuff and Finally, one of uh, your Video Village assistants says, hey, Joe, you have a picture. And Joe says, if I had a picture, I wouldn't be making this piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that stayed with me. Don't, don't, don't know why. <laughs> that, can't, that can't be a true story. Uh, I, I don't know how to top that. Our guest this shit. week has been Ron Perlman. Thanks. Steve. A lot of this shit I say is, is just had of a dream, I don't know. So what? what is the topic that
1: you uh, Well, we, we had a conversation about that, and we were flitting around some various and sundry uh, thematic interests. And Ron said something interesting. He talked about one set of movies and another and this era and that era, and he said, you know, none of these are movies that would get made today. And I thought, why don't we force him to put together uh, a list of some of his favorite movies that could not possibly, in his estimation, be made today, at least in the sort of my I guess it's
0: a long list
2: that uh, goes yep. up to about 1975, right? <laughs> well, actually, no. I mean, um, you mentioned, I'm going to give you a little homework, and I said, okay, then I'm backing out of the whole fucking thing. Because if I wanted to do homework, I wouldn't be in show business. That's for sure. If I wanted to, you know work in an industry that required discipline i wouldn't have picked acting um but um <laughs> i do relate sir. the the you w- know in our initial feeling of each other let me f- try to rephrase that it was on the phone we couldn't have been that um anything we have to apologize for or certainly explain um but anyway we were we were, we were searching for for uh what was going to be our handle for a conversation like this. And I, I, I mentioned, you know, about five years ago, I basically founded what I like to euphemistically call my own movie studio. Um, it's, You know, you can call it a production company, you can call it any number of things, but I like to call it a movie studio because I would love for it to augment itself and blossom itself into an environmental space where you could create a set of um, um, factors that would ultimately become a breeding ground unlike what gave way to that last great period of American cinema, which is from the mid-'60s to the end of the-'70s, which gave way to like guys like you and can hang that on me Coppola and <laughs> Scorsese and Friedkin and De Palma and you know and 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 you know I mean you can go on and on and on you can go on and on and on. I I don't, I don't have a facility for all those names you know I'm a little older than you so I don't remember so good but the point of it is is that that period was um, um, amazingly productive Um Amazingly unique uh, in terms of the history of cinema worldwide, from the beginning to the to, to where we are now, probably as American as it's, it's ever been, and probably was able to uh, utilize um, things that it had never quite utilized before. So it, it really was the the beginnings of the the study of humanity through the lens of antihero rather than what the 30s and 40s Mm -hmm. gave way to which is real heroes and flawed heroes and i and i always thought it the bridge between those two eras was the 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 arrival of marlon brando but actually, really, the, the, the thing that set it all off, which gave way to the, the possibility of Marlon Brando, was a movie called The Best Years of Our Lives, which is the very first time you see the psychological effects of, of this, this abstract, humanistic effect of the price one pays when one goes to war to defend its country. You'd seen, from that point, you know... Uh, but all, all the way up to that point, you'd seen these big, wonderful, sweeping war movies, but none of them took place in the aftermath, and certainly none of them were as funky and as psychologically twisted as those characters, those, those remnants of that service. And that was the Second World War. That wasn't anything as, as controversial as Vietnam or or Iraq or anything like that. That was a war that everybody believed needed to be fought and that, you know, where we had real good guys in real uniforms and we weren't fighting with, you know, people who had bombs strapped to themselves. You know, the, it's what they call the good war. But Weiler and, and company went out and, and, and said, let's make a movie about what the price is and what it does to these guys when they get back to this life that they thought was going to be one thing until everything changed, and from that point on, we became obsessed with psychology. We became obsessed with behavior. We became obsessed with, with, um, with things about humanity that were not neat and foldable and categorizable, but that were funky and dark and, but 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 also not exclusive. To um, being those things. You could also be a hero at the same time as you were all those things. And to me, that's what the 60s and 70s were all about. And that's why you have this confluence of unbelievable filmmakers that emerged um, during that period. Conversation that we were having was that, you know, if you go over the... 100 greatest films that were made in that period you can't get any of them made now or if you did you would have to you'd have to make it for $450,000 on a fucking iPhone you know or make it and then have Sony Classics tell you yeah I'll, I'll release this for you worldwide but I'm not giving you any money I mean you know anyway that's my theory but I think that's the jumping off point for what 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 we might want to yeah. sect here.
1: No, it's a, it's an interesting question too, sort of what the culture was interested in and and willing to take in commercially. Uh then as opposed to, you know, well, it was a
0: different culture though. I gotta culture. remember. I mean, movies had a much larger place in our lives then than they do now. I mean, there wasn't all this kind. Of, yes, there was television, there was radio, there was records, there was, you know, stuff like politics, whatever. But uh n- in the past 10-15 years, the uh landscape that we live in is and the pace has changed the the amount of things that are going on the 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 opportunities that people have to put their eyeballs on something are so diverse now and so ever-changing and so uh hard to put your finger on that you that that it's it's almost like you can't you don't have any time to dwell on anything you don't i mean you 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 can't there's no analytical time Uh, to take stuff in it's just like this and that and this and that and and the kids who are growing up in this world in this ready player one world uh are now going to be uh as attention deficit as any generation has ever been because there's just there's no place for them to just sit down and stop and think because everything is being thrown at them and and if and it's you see it in politics you see it in just the way our lives are you know, and we can we can all sit in this room and, and say, well, you know, we're having a normal conversation. When I went to the movies in the 60s, we would talk about movies after yeah. we saw them. We would, we, would, we would go and have a pizza. We would go and have a drink. We would we would dissect the movies because they were so interesting. Uh, I, I somehow doubt that people go and, you know, have long bullshit sessions about but even mar- Marvel you, I mean,
1: movies. But you at least were movie geeks. I mean, I remember as a, as a child, my father and his friends would go, you know, Drag me off to see the latest Robert Altman film, I'm nine years old. And, and then they would go have, you know, dinner afterwards and talk about it for hours. And they'd have read Pauline Kale and all the rest of this. And this is not, you know, I didn't grow up in a movie family. This is uh, regular uh, people. And uh, <laughs> that was part of the culture. But yeah, that was just part of it. And it's, a, and and it's a
0: different culture now. And I think that, that one of the reasons that we just don't see this kind of movie anymore is because, uh, the people who are the gatekeepers, um, always have wanted to make money. That's really their bottom line. Yeah, let's make some Oscar pictures and with our some of our winnings and then we'll all feel better. But but for the most part they want to make a lot of money. And um these kind of pictures which now have gravitated to cable television, um, you know, the think pieces, uh don't they don't bring people into theaters. They don't make because it costs a lot of money to make movies, it costs a lot of money to distribute movies, it costs a lot of money to go see a movie. I mean to bring your family to a movie? I mean you might as well go to Disneyland. I mean, it's really expensive. And uh, the culture has shifted. I I won't say it's coarsened. (laughs) You won't hear that from me. But uh, it's too late. (laughs) But it's just different. I didn't say that, ladies and germs.
2: (laughs) Nothing coarse about you all, you great unwashed. (laughs) You masses, you. I love you.
1: Ron Perlman, 2020. I love you. I hate you. He's conflicted.
2: There's uh, a couple of things in there though, Joe, that I'd love to just kind of like grapple with you about. Um I can't remember what they were, but I as you were saying them, I just <laughs> I said to myself, you yeah, know. That's wrong. He's um, full of shit. <laughs> you know, but but uh th- the funny thing is, it's almost kinda like Tony Bennett. You know, why when he was like eighty five did all the millennials just go, this is the fucking greatest singer who ever lived? I mean, all the rest of them were already dead. He happened to be one of the guys who survived it.
1: It goes to what we were saying earlier. You just live long enough.
2: Why is, why is cl- Turn of Classic Movies, which I believe is, is is quite a popular destination for a mm-hmm. lot of people, and almost like a, a port in the storm, you know, and a mm-hmm. real oasis? Why, what's, what's behind the success of that? I don't think that, um, that those movies are uh, no longer valued. And this is, this is what inspired me to, to, to go down this road personally and say, fuck it, I'm not going to ascribe to whatever this, what I have to believe is a temporary trend in the, in the bend of, 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 of our society and, and the way we disseminate our culture. I have to believe it's all temporary. It's always temporary because I cannot believe that anything as glorious as cinema could ever become um, dispensable. And um, I feel as though where I'm where 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 I'm born out by this is that if you look if you look at this whole kind of cultural sweep, starting with you know the the, the beginning of of, of, of the art form, and all of the amazing discovery, and all the people who jumped on board and who 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 got the joke and who 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 came—you know—these giants on whom shoulders were still standing. You know, um, it's it's always kind of had these twists and turns, turns that had to do with market realities. Okay, so the market changes, so business goes somewhere else. The studios collapse, so it gives way to you know um, uh, the 60s and the 70s, and then that begins to collapse, and it gives way to kind of nothing except somewhere in there, the big blockbuster gets introduced, and now uh, with the passing of time, because nobody's nobody's there to to nurture a situation like well, it's kind of a perfect storm. Nobody's there to nurture a situation where, um, the, the, you know, what's the name of the guy who gave Scorsese and Coppola and and you know? Roger? Yeah. There's no Roger Corman there to, like, give way to an entirely new generation of geniuses. Right. And the studios are starting to go, Jesus, television has just taken a huge bite out of our ass, and it's almost worth it to not make these fucking movies if we can just, you know, make a $150 million ride that people come to cuz we need you know i mean it's th- and then of course it's this bullshit i'm handing a, i'm holding a cell phone in my hand for those of you who are not able to see me right now which is pretty much all of you <laughs> <But> <laughs> when you when when you have inured the public my kids being among them who who've come into a world where everything is being delivered to them there's f- no fucking need for them to go to the movie theater anymore everything comes to them why bother to go when you can just wait for it, and why bother to watch it on a, a glorious seventy million millimeter screen? You know, um, there's only a few of us that, that 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 are left that like go. Oh, Kurosawa! Wow, you know, <laughs> where you know these people think it's they're getting the exact same value of it from watching it on their iPhone. So, all these things have have happened that have thrown everything into strange chaotic patterns but if you look at this and here's the point I've been you know taking forever to make if you look at cable television right now and you look at the quality of the storytelling it's very similar to what you guys were doing in that great era you know it's it's complex it's flawed it's 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 abstract it's funky it's got it's teeming with anti-hero it's studying culture and all kinds of, so it's not as if we've abandoned our desire to see this shit it's just that we're being given to given it to us in a way that's no longer the the movie theater th- situation that you and I grew up in or that all of us grew up in
1: well i would yeah i mean i would argue sort of a counterpoint to what joe's saying and i don't know how fully i believe this but it does seem that film is you know, it's always an evolving medium and we're getting to a point now with the evolution of TV into what you're talking about. I said, we were on the phone, you know, in the seventies movies were taxi driver and TV was Charlie's angels. And now it's just a reverse. There's a Charlie's angel movie. And if you were going to make taxi driver today, it would be a 10 hour series on HBO well, I think well, that's one of
0: the keys, though, is that the, when we talk about the complexity of cable television, is that it has a benefit that the movies didn't have, which is that it doesn't have to tell the story in ninety minutes.
1: Right. Well, and that's it, what I'm it, saying. Is it's becoming a novel, whereas right. one day we'll look back and Lawrence of Arabia will be a short story. Yeah.
0: And so when you, like, you know, when you talk about doing Great Expectations and taking all those characters and cramming them into a two-hour movie, right? Uh, which was has been done quite well. Quite well. Uh, but the story actually demands uh, a longer period of time, and that you do need to have that, epi- and, and one of the great things about these episodes is these limited series, a series that's not necessarily expected to last forever, because that can kill a series anyway, e.g. lost, uh, it, it, if, it, if it's finite, you can actually take the time to deliver it, and then you can get to an ending that's satisfying,
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: and, that's, uh, and that's great, but, that's, but that doesn't go to your point, I mean, that, that's, that's about the joys of cable television. I and mean, we, we have bigger screens and better sound, and it's certainly not the same as it was when we were watching our little black and white TVs. But uh, but for the movies, there's nothing like seeing a, a movie in a movie theater. I mean, even if it's an old movie, and that's one of the Turner Classic Movies uh, things that you were talking about. One of the reasons that that's, that that, well, that they do in April, yeah. the festival out here is so popular, and people fly in from all over the country, is because they get to see movies that they've already seen and love, but they get to see them the way they were supposed to be seen, and they get to see them with an audience. Because nothing kills a comedy more than watching it on your computer, yeah. and so you know the Marx Brothers. I keep saying you know you watch Marx Brothers movies and there's long pauses after the jokes, and it's because they used to take the stuff out on the road and figure out exactly how long to pause because that's where the laughs were, and then they would build that in. And when you see a Marx Brothers movie with an audience, it works like the clockwork. You see it, you see it on a TV, and it's got all these dull spots in it, these little dead spots. And you just why is the pacing? The pacing is off, you know, um, and it's because. You know, movies, holding for the laugh. Movies are a communal experience. That when they work, when they're when they're the best, the best time you can have in a movie is when you see it with a lot of other people. And you, even if it's a terrible movie, I saw uh, Showgirls with a huge audience of people who turned against it during the <laughs> rape scene. First they were laughing, and then they got, then they just hated it. But when they came out. It was all like, as if they'd all gotten off a shipwrecked boat together. Right. I mean, there was, exactly. this, there was this sense of camaraderie that they had experienced something, you know. And I, I don't think you, you just can't do that on your on your cell phone.
1: Well, you can live tweet a movie that you're watching alone. Well, you it? could do mystery science theater too. But you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: using other people's material for your act is really not the greatest way to. I mean,
2: you know, the, the sad part of it all is that there's a generation of people who don't know what they're missing because they've never seen it before. The problem with guys like us who are just old enough to remember when there was a certain glory to, you know, 2,000 strangers disparately, you know, getting their popcorn and walking into a darkened theater. And, and then two and a half hours later, you know, Shane, Shane, come back, Shane. <laughs> and everybody's like, the lights come up and everybody's like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, there's, that's that's like church for me. You know, that's like, that's that's there's a kind of a ritualistic kind of um, commonality that takes place, that shared experience where you're in the hands of somebody who's really blowing your mind about things that you understand viscerally and get viscerally because it's the exact same part of the condition that your lives are reflected in. And it's too... Um, the, the, what the, what the point I was trying to make is, I can't tell that to my kids because they don't know that they're missing something because they never had it. Mm-hmm. And the and the problem, the problem is in conversations like this. We can talk all we want to and know how fucking right we are, but <laughs> unless you can change the mind of a millennial or somebody who's coming up now, who wants to go all analog and who wants to you know like, hey hey. Um, how do we make a, an Eddie G. Robinson movie right now? You know, I mean, unless you can do that, then it's great to have these conversations. But they're they're, you know, they're, they're they, they we sound like a bunch of old guys. But who I, are think,
1: like, well, I no, think
0: but, that's, but the not, doesn't that happen to all art. I mean, as sure. as the generations go by, I mean, some of it gets left by the wayside and some of it doesn't. Uh, the, the movies are a 20th century art form. It's no longer the 20th century. It, whatever it is whatever movies are now it's not what they used to be it's not even on film for Christ's sake i mean it's just not what we grew up with and we, i think we've i think we've accepted that you know i mean it's, i haven't <laughs> i have not
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it but it, it's why we're, but, I mean, I think, yes, us sitting around in a bar having this conversation is one thing, but there's at least four millennials who listen to this show, and, and there's one person, there's one person in North not Korea. Not after this. I don't know if you've looked, <laughs> I don't know if you looked, looked at the map, but there's apparently one person in North Korea who, who downloads the show. I don't know how. What are you I'll it, probably get him killed are there by even. Are maps that, that? Oh, yeah, do you not? Know, yeah, there's, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you know. No, and, um, Rocket man. So. <laughs> You're going to get him killed. The, um, but the idea, I think, you know, behind Trailers from Hell, which is the website that spawned this, and what we're doing is to try at least to give um, folks, because there are certainly millennials who have come to you through more recent work, um, certainly Sons of Anarchy, was not just old folks watching that show. No. And they're going, hey, it's it's that guy from that cool show. And now here you are talking about, you know, somebody somewhere is listening to you scream get off my lawn, and they're writing down, i got to find out who this Eddie G. Robinson guy is that's the hope that's that's that is the
2: hope and that's 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 you know that's why i uh at 60 some odd years old i i said to myself before i go out i'm gonna spend the rest of my life reminding people that cinema is a glorious thing that can never be replaced or or mistaken for reality you know i mean the, the where I where where you lose me, you know where the, where where I become where I take start taking it personally, and start and start getting nuts, and and this is reflective of my Twitter feed. Is that people mistake voyeurism for culture? That there's a whole generation of people in this world who think that reality television is on an equal footing right. with great. You know Robert Louis Stevenson and, and F. Scott Fitzgerald and William Faulkner, well, because it's just you know it, it it entertains them and they and they 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 regard it as something, you know that that you know it's the same to them. And um, reality television has gotten us where we are
0: today. Yeah, no, it's and it all goes back to the. Uh, it's all sh- Mark no I should Burnett's know. Fault. I'm in
1: the union. What what year was the writer strike? That uh, the 1990.
0: Oh, uh, was th- there was one in
1: 89. 89 is the one where sort of. And and the studio's response was, well, fuck it, we'll start doing these reality shows. I mean, it came out of the writer's strike. Mm-hmm. It is, however, you look at it, it, is either my union's fault or the fault of the studios responding to our strike. Um, Keep my union out of it. That's 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 why I wouldn't. Which is why we have Donald Trump in the White House today. I would say it's because oh, writers want to go on the punchline. I, okay. <laughs> Um, but do you want to, you, you, did, you, did, you, uh, did you do your homework? Do you have some films you'd I like didn't. to? You didn't? You have no movies for me. He, 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 he couldn't.
0: he couldn't see it anyway, even if he did. Here's what I did. No, I, 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 I,
2: you know, I, I did what everybody who has homework does these days. I went to Google <laughs> and I wrote, uh, you know, <clears throat> give me the best movies of the 60s and 70s. And I got one, one list that was 10 films long. and I got another list that was 100 films long. And I didn't agree with either of them. I thought they were, <laughs> thought they were like, you know, once again, bullshit lists. Uh, but there's movies on there. We want Ron if I could, Perlman's bullshit list. If I could just see them. But, you know, the movie that we had talked about, yep. which is, you know, to me, emblematic of as close to a movie about nothing as the Seinfeld show was was, you know legendarily claimed it was it was never a movie about nothing that was never a show about nothing that was a show about humanity and you know idiosyncrasies and all the things that make life worth living make you laugh and make you have fun but the graduate this is robinson you're trying to seduce me aren't you have you gotten us a room yet i haven't no do you want to I'll get
0: undressed now, is that all right? Sure. Shall I? I mean, shall I just stand
2: here? I mean, I don't know what you want me to do. Why don't you watch? Oh, sure, thank you. Now the graduate is like you could make a case right now. You could take the graduate and that entire cast and Mike Nichols right now and try <laughs> to get that thing financed, and unless, you know, um I would I would I would argue that you know the best you could do is maybe a 1.2 million dollar version of that thing that you got to shoot in 22 days and uh that the studio is gonna or that it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to find worldwide distribution for i think that's accurate but you
0: got to remember that even in its day uh the graduate was an independent movie because it was made by joe levine for Embassy Pictures, which was not a major studio. It was a studio, I mean, it was a studio movie, but it was one of the minor studios. It wasn't. I don't know if it went to Paramount and got turned down or it went to Universal and they said, no, I, I have no idea. But, but that, that was the, big, the burgeoning area in that particular era, 67, 68, when um, people were starting to take chances on things that they thought would appeal to an audience they didn't understand because I used to work for a trade magazine in Philadelphia during the period of, of these, these movies. And you'd go up on the elevator with the exhibitors. And the exhibitors are always old guys who looked like you know, Jesse White. And, and, and they would be, you'd see the movie. And if it was a Magic Garden of Stanley Sweetheart kind of a movie or Zachariah, the first electric western, you know, they, then they'd come, they'd corner me in the elevator. And they went, so kid, what do you think? We think, is, 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 is it? Is is is? Think, is they like it? Is it like you know? I mean, these guys. I said, I don't even know why they bothered coming to these screenings because the movies just didn't make any sense to them at all, you <laughs> know. But at least *The Graduate* was a movie that was a high-class movie with a good story and a, and 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 uh, very very relevant. I mean, when I saw that picture, I saw it the day it opened uh, in a twin theater in Philadelphia, which was two long halls with little screens at the end, and of course it was in scope, so the screen was even smaller, and when Dustin Hoffman gets on that uh, walkway in the airport and the song starts, you could feel it in the audience. This was just an audience of Philadelphia kids, probably a lot of college kids, and there was an electricity. It was like this: we get this. Somebody who made this movie gets this, and uh, that, and Bonnie and Clyde, and a couple of other movies from that period are were game changers. I mean, they really changed the way that things were done. And a lot of the old guard studio guys basically got sent packing. And a good thing, too.
1: I would think, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if you were going to make that today, though, for for a studio, you'd have to be a lot dumber, have a happy ending.
2: But, you know, the... And here's, here's a, a personal thing I'm going to share with you all, and I'm looking for your advice and your counsel on this as well, because... Okay, I've been successful in putting together a little film fund that was that allows me to put some money into producing these little films and I really really look for things that I think are you know are um, are uh, unique and original and 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 you know cool and edgy and entertaining and cinematic and you go and you know you go out and you find some names so that you know you 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 know you can get make some foreign sales and and you go out and you find yourself a, a filmmaker who you know who's got a name so that you can make some maybe get a domestic person who's like willing to even go see your fucking movie and then you finally make the picture and you got your foreign worldwide and you got your domestic deal and they won't put a fucking penny into P&A so however good that movie is and however much you've succeeded in in ringing the bell that we now you know that now characterizes the making of these little independent films, which are basically just this gesture of like this is a this is an art form worth fighting for. In my in my in my twisted estimation, if you don't put At least five, six, seven million dollars into advertising to make sure that you have an opening weekend. You're definitely not going to have a second weekend. You're not even going to have an opening weekend. You're not going to have any weekend. And 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 it's gonna it's gonna the 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 narrative that these guys have fed themselves. Well, that's this is why independent cinema is no longer worth spending our time with. You caused it, motherfuckers, because you're so afraid to put your money where your mouth is you're so you're going to buy the picture you're going to pay the filmmakers nothing but you're not going to put a dime into it because you're terrified you're going to lose it all how do you expect this thing to perform if nobody knows it's coming out joe your witness (laughs) my my witness my last two
0: pictures didn't get theatrical release so i i understand completely Uh, the, the 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 idea of getting your movie seen theatrically Now, if you're lucky, they will buy your movie and they say, well, we'll try it out in Atlanta for a week and we'll get 10 theaters in Atlanta and we'll open your picture in Atlanta and we'll spend enough money to get maybe two TV spots and maybe somebody will go on a talk show. And then if it does well, then we'll talk about expanding it. Well, it never does well because nobody knows it's there. And if they don't know it's there, it doesn't exist. So all these movies end up on a list at Netflix of, with no, again, no advertising, but just a list of titles. And so you go down the list of titles and you just try to figure out well, what, what, does this sound interesting? Does it, I mean, and, and your, your, your movie is given as much shrift as every other movie on that list, which is, can be as many as a hundred, depending on what month it is. Um, the, the idea of people being able to actually come out on independent movies completely eludes me. I, I don't understand where the money is to be made. I mean, sure, every, well, every so often there's a little Miss Sunshine or there's something that, you know, um, lights, lights up the sky at a, at a festival, which is the only way you can get people to look at your movie is you get it to a festival. Uh, and then somebody will buy it, usually pay too much, um, and then realize it isn't going to be as big a picture as they thought and then pull back on the advertising. And then, you know, so most of the movies don't even aren't even that successful. And yet, if you want to make movies, you know, what are you going to do? You have to, you have to make something. And, you got, and the only way to do it is independent. Any movie you want to make, they want to make for less. doesn't matter what kind of movie it is. It doesn't matter what it, what, it, what it should cost or what it would cost. Or to have a, 100 horsemen come over the hill. Well, could it be 25? You know, because it, it, we, we, don't want it, we don't want to pay for 100. Let's not have any horsemen come over the hill. Let's just not make the fucking movie. I mean, because at a certain point, you really get to the point where, you know, we've taken this out, we've taken this out, we've dropped that, we've taken this out, we're, we're chintzing on this. You know what? Forget it. Because this isn't worth the effort if you're not going to do
2: it right. And 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 then they win. And Then, and, then they win, and, and you don't and, have a movie. So it's really loses. bad. Cinema loses. And, That's uh, actually our
1: sister podcast. It's called The Business That Killed Me. But we're... <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's depressing. It's a fun, it's a fun reality thing. Reality of <laughs> which is the appeal of television, to some extent. Is that um, well, the
0: appeal of television, television is that usually when they hire you, they've already got a a deal, right? You know, and you know that if I hire you on a TV show, they're going to pay you, right? You don't even know for sure on a movie whether you're going to run out of money.
1: Exactly.
2: Well, it was so, really just, nice talking to sorry, you guys. But, but, but so, I'm yeah. just curious, <laughs> what, what in,
0: in in the after the formation of your company, have you actually? produced a couple of pictures
2: we produced um uh, a bunch of pictures and we have uh two that are about to come out um both got theatrical releases both with little companies who have the best of intentions and who seem to have a real real passion for both projects um we'll see We'll see. One of them won a, a, a bunch of really big awards at Tribeca, um, which I just produced, and uh, it's uh, got Matthew Broderick and Geza Rorig in and Gaza Rorig is the son, the son of Saul Star, mm. um, beautiful actor, and uh, and then this other one. Oh well, uh, title. The title is To Dust. Okay. Um, and it's gonna that won't come out till uh, the first quarter of 2019. Another one that's coming out, which was, which is, the closest thing I could find to a '70s movie, um, where it's a thriller, crime thriller, but also real character study, a real flawed antihero, uh, called Asher. I star in that, um, and that got a nice release. That's gonna that's gonna open in about ten big markets, and um, we'll see. once again, we'll when, see. When when does that open? Huh? When? Uh, December 7th it's called Asher so um, the the short answer to your question is uh, every move that we've produced has sold some of them have had um, ridiculous sales but they were sales nonetheless so so that none of them were complete losses some of them sold for almost what we paid for them which means in two or three years as they continue to to be to be shown places will ultimately end up modestly in profit. And then um in the doing of these things, um I've been I, I worked with a, a a lawyer whose passion is, is is independent cinema who who taught me a very important lesson. He said there's one way, the only way to become you want to know how to become <laughs> a millionaire Making independent movies. I said, How he says, Start out as a billionaire <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which I'm learning. But um But I love it, Joe. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love solving the problems. I love watching the glory of the thing get made. I love um I I if it turns out good, you just have this feeling that, that it's incomparable and um you what's, know what's your budget range? so far we've never gone above about three two um you know we're, we're we're in the process of developing a few things that are more mainstream there's one that's going to be like a 35 million dollar movie uh because now i have the the producing bug and i and i i really love producing i always loved acting acting is like my my heroine you know i just like i'm a junkie for acting i get a I, I get a sensation from it. I get a jolt from it that you can't get any any other way. But producing is um, incredibly uh, holistic, as you know. Because mm-hmm. the only the only two people that really have their hands on every aspect of a, 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 of a of a film are the director and the producer. Every single hire, every single nuance, every single decision that's made is is made between those two mm-hmm. people and when you're an actor you're you know you come in you do you say you say your shit you trip over some furniture you slip on a banana peel and then you show up at the at the cast party you know and that's it but uh the, the other part of it is pretty uh it, it's like an aphrodisiac it's, it's it's pretty intoxicating and um you know sometimes you get you read these stories that these wonderful young writers write and they don't know how difficult it is. They don't know how fucked up it's going to be once you say, "Yeah, I'll help you make that." You know, okay, oh, great, good, great. And by the end of it, nobody's speaking to each other. You know? <laughs> Everybody hates each other. You know, Why did you put me through this? Well, you, know, <laughs> you wrote the motherfucker. Never, never <laughs> seen that happen.
1: Did <laughs> uh, mean, Did 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 you come in with some others? Or are we gonna are we gonna have to rough you up? Did you not do any of Look, no, no, I mean, he did. He
0: did the graduate. No graduate. Out. Five easy guys, pieces.
2: Oh, five easy it, pieces. Are, okay. You know, I'll go out with you, or I'll stay in with you. Or I'll do anything that you
0: like
1: for me to do. If you would tell me that you love me.
0: Keep on telling me about the good life Elton because it makes me puke. He's, he's five awesome. easy
2: pieces <laughs> is maybe one of the most seductive little movies I've ever seen in my life. I don't know how you get that made right now. I don't know how they got it made. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that was really, that was really indie back then. I mean, luckily they they had, uh, you know, Jack was, 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 was at that moment where he was, he was becoming important enough to take that thing seriously, but it was executed brilliantly. And that's the thing you can't sell to a bunch of people who you're looking to get the budget from, you know, you can't, you can't guarantee them, hey, it's going to turn out into in, in be five easy pieces. Nobody knows. Nobody knew that Jack Nicholson was going to give that performance mm-hmm. and that everybody else in that movie was going to be so amazing and that the score was going to be great and that Bob Rafelson was going to do some sh- Nobody knew. And, and and this that's part of the blessing of it all and, and the and curse yet, of it and all. And yet it didn't work for them with King of Marvin Gardens, which I think is also a good picture. Yeah. Didn't work for me. <laughs> I was one of those ones, you know, in, the, in that column. But um,
1: I have to give a family shout out. My uh, incredibly complicated, I guess the word now is blended family. My basically my aunt, my stepsister's mother is Lois Smith, uh, who plays Jack Nicholson's sister in Five Easy Pieces. Oh my Pieces. God! What a performance! And, that is. Yeah, I got to watch it uh, last year actually at my sister's house with her. Uh, and my niece, her granddaughter, so watching Five Easy Pieces with Lois, who's in it, who's basically looking at home movies that she has not seen in years, and uh, my twenty-something-year-old niece, who had never, I think, seen a movie like this before, was knocked out by it. it was a real, a real thrill. But yeah, she's she's amazing. That movie is. I, I hadn't seen it. In fact, I'd never seen it as an adult. I'd been taken to see it as a child because, you know. Taken is, to see it as a child. Well, yeah. It's like this, this, uh, you know, your, your new sister's mom's in this movie. We're going to go see it. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, um, it's phenomenal. And I can't even conceive of thinking today. You know, if I had that idea as a screenwriter, if I thought this is a story I want to tell, I would quickly stomp it to death. Because the idea of thinking you could write that and then get it made as a movie. For any amount of money in 2018, is just is bonkers. No one would touch that,
2: right?
1: And I don't even I don't even know how you describe it to somebody. You were trying how do you how do you pitch five easy pieces?
0: You mean for the remake?
2: <laughs>
1: for the remake? Yeah, the sequel. The sequel. <laughs> the sequel. No, well, he does. The
2: yeah, reboot. last we're, gonna reboot, reboot. Yeah, we're, we're gonna, gonna
1: reboot it. we're reboot it. Last scene on the back of a truck playing piano. Um.
2: <laughs> yeah, for that's, Jerry Lee Lewis.
1: Yeah, I mean, but that's that's a perfect example of a film that. Uh,
2: and there are many. There's just, I mean, I, you know, I'm just not facile enough to 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 come up with them. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can think of twenty.
0: Well, I I just re-
2: remember going to the movies in that period, and it was it was
0: uh, it was a, as I said, it was a great period because the studios didn't know what to make.
2: But the other thing that you said earlier, which 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 I want to, um, uh, open up for discussion. Is you know I wrote I wrote a memoir also about six years ago seven years ago you know I didn't I didn't know you know what what where it was going to go what it was going to be but it turned out where it was kind of bearing witness to when I came up how um, all of the studios and in, and indeed even the, the the TV networks the big three or four. We're all family owned. They were all owned by individuals. And say what you will about those guys and, and their obsession to make money, which I would never in a second question. But there was also a pride of ownership that had to do with goddammit, we wanna be the, the we wanna be the ones that, that get everybody's attention. And the way to get everybody's attention is to work with the fucking greatest writers on the planet. You know, if you got Faulkner, I got Hemingway you know if you right. got f scott fitzgerald I, you know and and that's how the studios were built and th- those studios were built with families with with you know with individuals who developed um who wore the, the the love for what they were doing and the passion for what they were doing on their sleeves i mean w- were they were they bastards magnificent bastards were they obsessed with owning the world and you know b- Dying with all of the toys? Of course they were. But they had this thing, this pride of ownership, that 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 enabled them to put this love and passion and and ruthlessness onto the screen. And when it all went to corporations, when MGM got sold to Sony, and then everybody followed suit, and all of a sudden, some motherfucker who makes Scotch whiskey owns Universal and all of a sudden, you know. That that became, that's where it all went to shit for me.
1: Well, there's no personal choice. I mean, I know it wasn't quite this simple, but it sort of feels like back in the day, Sam Golden would read a script and go, oh, I want to see this picture, and and then make it. And and uh, he wouldn't you know, make you it.
0: Had if- your, you had your Harry Collins, you had your Daryl Zanuck, you had all these people who were, you know, they were uh, the pillars of the industry, and they were making good pictures. And John Ford even let, he, he would go away, and he and, will be all right. He won't, he won't ruin it, right? You know, like like to see that happen today.
1: But 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 those were choices that ended with a person, as opposed to a test audience. And
2: oh, and audience also these and people come science. and go so fast now. Yes. And these companies depended on their own success rather than being a line item, right, on a ledger sheet, where you know if you're not pulling your weight, we're just gonna you know get rid of you and sell you. Right. Sell off. And this even asset. you
0: know even as recently as the '80s, I mean, when I was at Paramount. Uh, when they changed ownership and uh, Gulf and Western, uh, you know, sold them off. And uh, when, the, when a new regime comes in, the, uh, the product of the old regime uh, is considered dangerous and garbage. Because for two reasons. One, what if one of these movies is a big hit and we didn't make it and those people are gone? Or two, uh, what if, if these pictures flop, it'll look bad for us? So just dump them all. Right. So in 1985, they dumped every, Paramount dumped every picture they had made. And I mean, literally dumped. I mean, like, like in the garbage. No, no support, no terrible ads. Just, you know, they didn't, they didn't care. They didn't, they didn't want any of those movies to be successful because they thought it would make them look bad. So think of the poor filmmakers who are stuck with these movies that, you know, they were made thinking they were going to get the kind of support and, uh, you know, advertising that they expected, and instead they're in the ash heap. Just mm-hmm. because somebody else had to leave,
1: right? So hey. it's a
0: it's a it's a tough business to
2: be in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this has been Joe Dante on the Bleeding Obvious. For
2: <laughs> the, yeah, the, the, the but the, the there are the, rewards. Oh. <laughs> yes, that's right. You can't help but you know, as you're talking about the art form, you got to eventually talk about the business and as you're talking about the business you got to eventually talk about the art form and it's that's what makes it so weird is that it's both those things at the same time and they they say they've always said it was strange bedfellows but
1: but i never hear and this may you know I, i i came in after joe um people are always happy to tell you it's show business dummy but nobody ever says it's show business dummy they always emphasize the business. They always think you need to be reminded that it's a business, but nobody ever seems to want to remind anyone that it's also, you
0: know, putting awesome. on a show.
1: Yeah, there are, you know, to me, if those, if those things are both being addressed, y- you're okay. I, I don't feel like they are in an even handed fashion these days. They probably never were really, were they? But the like- other
2: thing about my little company getting back to me, cause I am the <laughs> guest this week. For, sake, <laughs> and, you know, all right. for those of you who have forgotten, um, I can't remember what I was gonna say. I'm just so, sometimes too funny for my own. It was the Batcher Company. My company, yes. My theory has always been, Bo Goldman. You take you take the, your list of 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 the the ten hottest Hollywood writers right now, and I'm certain that every single one of them has a Footlocker at the at the edge of their bed, in which there are the best things they ever wrote that nobody ever made, and those are the movies that my company wants to do. Those are the, those ones that were written on spec. They weren't written as assignments. They were written because those fucking writers had an idea, and they had to get it out of themselves. And it was completely a, a labor of passion, and uh, and nobody ever made it. And uh, so, all of you writers with scripts out there, winging a prayer, pictures, ladies and germs, send them. I read. I read everything you send. <laughs> oh, I really do.
1: Jesus Christ, really?
2: I read everything. He will read I, your, uh, I read, will I, read your I, fucking <laughs> script. Yeah. No, I may not read past page five, but you know, usually by page five, you know whether you're, you know, reading something original. Truffaut or, says
0: you can always tell by
2: the first ten minutes whether a movie's going to be any good or not.
0: I'm not. I'm not sure. I agree with
1: that. I I said that in the third paragraph. If I will not read your fucking script, yeah, you can tell, pretty quickly. At least you can tell if the writing's any good. Uh, yeah. I would. I
2: would. Agree. If I, if I don't know. If I'm if I'm in a world where I've never been before, I'll I'll turn to page two. If it stays that way or gets even better, then it's a page turner. And uh, if it stays that way all the way to the end, I'm calling that motherfucker and saying, uh, "How do you see this picture going?" You know. And if he's an asshole, I hang up. Um, I haven't completed a conversation in about two years. But anyway, that's that's just me. Uh, um. Anything else? I don't know. I mean, do you have any Your more movies
1: you want to? Uh, uh, he didn't do the homework. We've beat up guests before, though. I, he, I, I, gave, the, I gave He, you guys, you doing, doing, a he left of great his glasses examples. in the car. I uh, yes. Even if he
0: had, even if he could read his phone. But the other thing <laughs> is, they don't is that, usually bring with them. The other
2: thing. <laughs> is, have you ever read the AFI's hundred greatest films? Yeah, it's I, the biggest bullshit list you've ever read. I take, it, I take read. issue.
0: I take issue with it. Anybody's list of 100 greatest films is their personal is personal, and that yes. list, by the way, isn't personal. That's why it's such a shitty list. It's not somebody's list.
2: It's a an, a, a conglomeration of. So I tried to do my homework, and I I got hoisted by my own petard. Dog ate it. <laughs> and then I said to myself, "Okay, let me go back to the 70s." And I mean, my favorite movies are movies where it's just a bunch of really interesting people you know, um, acting in ways that you've never seen before, but you just can't take your eyes off them.
1: Was there ever a moment? And I mean, those are
2: the ones that are hardest to make right now.
1: Can you point to a thing, a, a cinematic experience where you went, shit, I want to do that.
2: I mean, that, that happens, you know, I mean,
1: every day, it means so the first but, time. but I mean, sort of, was there, was there a first time where you walked in going, I'm going to go see a movie and you walked out going, I want to do this.
2: Um, do I want to, it's funny, I should have an answer to this question, at my age, I should have thought about this, (laughs) I can tell you, um, I was one of these kids, this is just, I was Ron the actor, but I was one of these kids that, um, never thought I was going to amount to anything, because I didn't have a great, uh, self esteem didn't have a lot of love for myself didn't consider myself to be particularly good at anything and i would have to say the the movie that was the most empowering was charles laughton in the hunchback because to watch this 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 thing that's on the outside um completely you know like um monstrous and unacceptable who's the most beautiful thing in the movie that is kind of like and it's just weird that the first twenty years of my life was spent behind prosthetic makeup that wasn't something I designed that wasn't something that I set out to do it's the only way I could get work is if they covered up my face completely <laughs> and Jesus. turned me into a caveman or a fucking beast or a fucking <laughs> hunchback yeah yeah or you, you know that. uh that's the only way i w- i could get work but it was it was it was kind of there was kind of a, a, a um um a poetic justice because the thing that probably resonated the strongest in me is the first time I saw Lawton in that movie, wow. and went, "Oh my God!" You know, there's beauty and ugliness.
1: That's fun because when you said that, I immediately thought of of Name of the Rose because that is there's so much you brought so much soul into that character who is uh, very very reminiscent of Lawton in that film.
2: But um, there's now there's every time I watch a movie this this I'm reminded of this this is the fucking greatest thing greatest invention ever and and i I can defend that statement I mean every every everybody says their art form is the greatest art form if you ask a painter no you know no this one combines all the art forms this is the one that takes painting and music and you know I mean you name it you know uh d- d- production design and costume design and 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 lighting and music yeah and it adds editing and 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 then all these things come together in one unique singular vision and if the picture holds up and you watch when those credits come up at the end you just go holy shit that took my breath away you know and then you realize you're in a room with two thousand strangers and they all feel the same way come on man that's fucking magic
1: i think we should stop am i winning
2: I think yes. we should want to <laughs> play
1: that at the beginning of every episode because it's what the show is about. Exactly. Um look oh, yeah, yeah, you can't top that. Thanks, you. Ron. Do you want to put a PS on? You were going to make some news with us. You have an announcement you'd like to make about?
2: Uh... No, I think I'll, <laughs> I think I'll. I mean, but your political future? Yeah. Um, no, I mean every, everybody. <laughs> everybody thinks I'm running for president.
1: Well yeah, you announced you were, didn't you?
2: Yes. My 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 exact quote was uh I am hereby using my immense social media following <laughs> to announce my candidacy. I think I had like twenty thousand followers at the time, which is not immense. Yeah. Uh but um I'm gonna keep it that way. I'm gonna leave it that way. You're not gonna I'm not gonna tell you I'm not running. <laughs> that would have made news. <laughs> I to alienate help. his followers.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Well, we'll keep you guessing then. But uh, we
2: have to continue to have America have hope. Right? That's right. And I, you know, like <laughs> that's the only hope me, we got, me. That's right. Without, <laughs> without me, what is there?
1: Hey, this is Josh. You've just listened to um, uh, our conversation with Ron Perlman, which we actually recorded a couple of days ago, uh, but through the magic of podcastery, I'm coming in right after it to tell you. Um, and I love saying these things, because it's so rare. Uh, Joe Dante was wrong. The Second Civil War, which we were just talking about, uh, while you can't get a DVD or a Blu-ray, you can get it streaming in HD on Amazon and iTunes. I highly recommend it. It is a really, really, really terrific film. Um, You heard Joe Dante say it's his best movie. Don't argue with a man, just go see the film. And then I might as well plug at the same time, because while I was digging around, I found out that you can actually stream... My own movie, Infested, which I wrote and directed, and we've mentioned a few times here. Second Civil War is an absolutely amazing film. Uh, If you don't like it, there's something wrong with you. Infested, I recommend you drink a lot or perhaps uh, partake of some legal cannabis if you live in one of those states. Um, You'll find it helps. Uh, I'm very proud of it, but it's no Second Civil War. But it's really fun. So watch them both, and thanks for listening. Our show was recorded in Hollywood, California at Crossroads of the World. we the official podcast of trailersfromhell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made
0: Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken.